pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny, episode 287. Today I'm going to chat with Nephi Cole from NSSF, discuss a new filing in GOA's Brace case, highlight a new upper from Brownells, and talk about a win in the battle over ghost guns. I'm your host, Ava Flanell, and Nephi, how are you doing? I keep wanting to say Nef- uh, Nephi, or what did it's I Nephi. say? Yeah, it's Nephi. That's okay. <laughs> so N- N-E-P-H-I. Yep, nobody's ever going to get it right. So I'm just, I'll respond to uh, anything. And usually it's derogatory. Like most, today, most people just yell derogatory terms at me. So it's, uh, it's all good. <laughs> nice. I know I could imagine, especially with what you do. But before we get into that, I'm going to take a quick break, talk about Smith & Wesson. If you haven't checked out the new MMP 57 from Smith and Wesson, you definitely need to. Most of you who've listened for a while know that I'm a big fan of the 57 cartridge because of the low recoil and good capacity, but this one I think is probably the best 57 pistol yet. The new Tempo barrel, which I don't know if there's any other guns doing this, has a two-part internal rotary lock system where the barrel doesn't move until the bullet is almost out of the barrel. So this helps reduce recoil. It makes it more accurate since there's less motion before the bullet is out of the barrel. I shot it next to another 5.7 pistol. It was from PSA called The Rock. And in comparison, I mean, it was so much smoother and flatter shooting. It was pretty incredible. It has a threaded barrel, optic cut, great flat face trigger so that you don't need any aftermarket upgrades. Best of all, MSRP is only $699, which puts it extremely well priced against others for the quality and the features that you get. You could check out my YouTube video on it. I believe it's my most recent video. Or you could also go to smith-wesson.com. Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. Okay, so Nephi, before we talk about NSSF and what you do there, tell me a little bit about your background and basically what got you to where you are now. Well, that's a long road, but I'll, you know, I'll try and- <laughs> I saw you just the other day. You don't look that old. <laughs> I'm older than you think, I think. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I I grew up hunting and shooting and just love it. You know, it's it's part of my family. It's part of who we are. It's, you know, I, you know, I, I said my, there are 14 generations of my family in this country. And from the very beginning, they were gun owners, hunters and shooters. And so I spent a couple of years in Brazil. Uh, working for a nonprofit. And then in college, I uh, got into USPSA. My little brother actually was a member of kind of when Team SIG was a little larger. He was a Team SIG guy. He's a national champ in production handguns, USPSA. He's a GM right now, does a lot, you know, shoots a lot of PCC, uh, loves, you know, a three gun. But, you know, he's really the better shooter of us. I got into long range and uh, rifles and, and hunting, and he, you know, kind of stuck with the competition stuff. In college, I was uh, my my degrees actually are in um, soil science and biology. I graduated from college with a master's in soils and um, geomorphology. Hmm. I, I worked for 
uh, as a conservation planner for the United States Department of Agriculture's Natural Resource Conservation Service. And then in that capacity, I did work for 12 years at kind of the state level, regional, national level for that federal agency. And then I got a call from a, a governor. And so a guy named Matt Mead, who was the governor of Wyoming, called and, and asked if I would come be a policy advisor for him. And a policy staff for a governor, what that is for people that don't know, is kind of the inner circle where before decision makers make you know decisions on certain policies, they're going to ask guys who they pay to basically write letters for them, write opinions for them, you know, work on, you know, kind of define the direction of their organization. That's why you say, you know, policy is staff or staff is policy. You probably heard it that way. So when you're looking at an elected official, like a governor or the president, you Mm -hmm. want to know if they're going to be good or not. It's not just the guy you vote for. It's Mm -hmm. who does that guy bring on with them? And this is really true when you look at somebody like Trump, right? Who surrounded himself. A lot of my friends went and worked in that administration. And, you know, they, you surround yourself with good people, you're going to have good policies because those decision makers don't have the time to, you know, read everything and make every policy. They depend on the people around them, which is also why when you look at, for example, the Biden administration, you have a lot of people from that administration that are actually Obama people, you know, people that worked for the Obama administration, disappeared for a few years. And then when Biden, you know, wins the office, he loads that entire White House, you know, in every executive branch, he loads them with people who were there previously, kind of continuing that. So yeah, staff is policy. So I worked for Mead. I developed the, the uh, energy and water strategies for the state of Wyoming, uh, the Office of Outdoor Recreation, a bunch of other stuff. Um, but later on in his administration, he figured out that you know I took over his gun stuff and. And uh, of course, in, in Wyoming, we were fortunate enough to be able to recruit some companies that you know were fleeing places like Colorado, so like Magpul. Mm-hmm. Um, we recruited Weatherby. We recruited Stag Arms, leaving Connecticut. So these companies, I was actively working to recruit these types of companies to come because Wyoming, you know, is uh, we're the most Second Amendment friendly state, and so. We're able to help these people find a home in the state of Wyoming. And when we were recruiting people, we were working at SHOT Show, the shooting, hunting, outdoor trade show. And so after three years of being at SHOT Show, my boss was terming out of office. And I had the opportunity where somebody at NSSF said, hey, we have this government relations position opening up. Would you consider sending us a resume? And so I had the opportunity to do, you know, to move into government relations for international and it's state you know, that's my title. I'm the director of uh, government relations and state affairs for NSSF. And there are actually five of us with the exact same title. And we cover the US and we have to try and cover everything that's happening in all the states. And we kind of divide them up basically evenly and, and try and, you know, you know, stop bad policies and get good ones passed. Wow. That's crazy that there's only five of you guys. Yeah, we've got some, a national team too. They do a phenomenal job. And NSSF, most people just honestly don't know who we are. They don't know what we do. And so we kind of, we've been able to kind of work, uh, kind of run silent, run deep, you know, jokingly, but, uh, you know, people don't understand it. And mm-hmm. um, the name even, you know, NSSF, you talk to policymakers and they're like, oh, NSSF, you guys must, I, I shoot clay pigeons too. And then you have to explain to them, though, no, actually, <laughs> NSSF is the Firearms Trade Association of America. So there are 9,000 plus members of NSSF. And so who is a a member? It's not a person. 
it's an entity, a corporation, a company. And so most of your FFLs will be members of NSSF, all of your big manufacturers and anybody that makes, moves, sells, or distributes firearms, components, accessories. It's everybody from you know, Beretta to Weatherby, it's everybody for, you know, it's Cabela's, it's Shields, it's mom and pop gun shops. It's the outdoor writing industry. So most, you know, outdoor media, most of your folks who are in that space, gun media, uh, recoil and, you know, others, those folks are going to be members of NSSF as well. We are the professional side of the firearms world. And that's different than a lot of your other awesome groups who are out there. And we really appreciate those groups. You know, you have your groups like you have the NRAs and the RMGOs and all these folks who are, you know, represent different, you know, slightly different takes on and facets of the individual rights part of the gun world. But we really represent companies, the businesses. And that's that's what we do. We, we look out for their interests and we try and make sure that the industry is healthy, that we always have the ability to do business, the ability to make move ship, you know, to create, a, you know, so you have a spot to go buy the products that you need to exercise your Second Amendment right. Very interesting. And then also NSSF is also the company that puts on SHOT Show every year, correct? We are. It's a, we're a foundation. So NSSF is a nonprofit. And, um, but, and SHOT Show, I mean, that might sound silly because you think of SHOT Show as being such a you know, big you know, show. You think there must be a bunch of money behind that. But Actually, we keep the costs down as much as possible. We are literally a nonprofit entity. So mm-hmm. if you're coming to SHOT Show as a business and you're like, oh, this is so expensive, you know, somebody must be making bank. Not really. You know, we're, we're trying to keep those costs down as much as possible because the, the reason for that show, SHOT Show, you know, you'll have a lot of people who have different opinions about SHOT Show, mm-hmm. but it's more than just a trade show. It is the trade show of the industry, but it's also our family reunion. It is the opportunity for members of the industry to come together to show, you know, it, it really is important for us in the lobbying world because it shows the size of the industry. Mm-hmm. It lets people know, you know, how big we are, the scope of what we do. And so that, you know, when I bring decision makers, we had seven governors this year attend SHOT Show. Mm-hmm. And those governors, they come in and they see all of our companies there and then they get it. Yeah, and those governors go back and literally, I had Governor Greg, Governor Gianforte from Montana, came into Shot Show for the first time, and absolutely crushed it at the governors. We do an event called the Governors Forum, where governors speak, um, talk with each other, and everybody can ask him questions. And Gianforte at that Governors Forum, he left that forum, and we were working on a bill called the Financial Industry Non Discrimination Act, which prohibits financial industries from discriminating against gun entities just for being gun entities. And Gianforte went back to his staff and he said, this bill's coming to my state. And he said, if you're not right with it, get right with it, you know, because we're going to pass this bill. And that's the type of, you know, that energy that you know, comes from lawmakers getting a feel, you know, outside of the legislative session for how big the industry is and how it impacts their states. Interesting. Yeah, I actually had no idea. I do have to ask, though. So I've heard, you know, from a lot of manufacturers, it costs a lot of money for them to attend SHOT Show. And I mean, we're not talking about just a few, you know, thousand dollars. So I do have to ask, like, where is that money going towards? Great question. So the the thing to think about. So number one, this is a pitch for NSSF membership. If you're going to SHOT Show and you're not an NSSF member, Mm -hmm. become a member. It's actually relatively inexpensive depending on the size of your company. And then 
you almost always get enough benefits in terms of cheaper, you know, a cheaper, uh, you know, footprint at SHOT Show, the cheaper badges and things like that, that it makes it worth your time, especially for the smaller companies. Mm-hmm. So what, is the, what does it cost? Well, that depends. You know, if you're a company and you want to make a splash at SHOT Show, that's not NSSF that tells you that you need to buy, you know, a hundred by hundred foot piece of space. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of it. And, and again, that's actually the cheapest part of the entire Vegas experience for most of these companies. But when you look at somebody that brings in a giant booth, that booth costs a lot of money. And so when they're talking about their expenses, you know, they're not, they're talking about, you know, if I have a, you know, there's some companies that have booths that are, you know, it costs them a million dollars to build that booth. Mm-hmm. And so when you spend that kind of cash to have a presence there, then you also remember it's, it's uh, how many staff are you going to bring? Mm-hmm. And then your hotels, you know, those Meals. folks, you know, they eat, yeah, they go to, you know, you hold a big event. And, and so there are additional costs and it's tough. I mean, the big, the biggest challenge is, you know, for a lot of people, NSSF, so SHOT Show is not something where people see an immediate ROI because we don't sell stuff at SHOT Show, right? You're Mm -hmm. talking with people, you're making business plans, you're seeing the other members of the family, but your return on SHOT Show comes later. Mm -hmm. It comes because, you know, if you have a big presence at SHOT Show, people know who you are and like you are a leader, they're coming to you to purchase products. And that product isn't necessarily purchased at SHOT Show. It's purchased at Shields later on. Mm -hmm. But the reason that they go and they purchase that gun is because there's a certain, it's because of what you did at SHOT Show. It's because of those relationships that you built there. It's because of the impressions that were written at range day by different people. And so, you know, these for sure, you know, the mammoths in the industry have had a, they've always, they've had that presence for years and years and years at SHOT Show. And it is that long-term you know, develop, you know, it's ex- exercise at the gym. It's that long-term, you know, building that, you know, creates what these companies are today. And SHOT Show is a huge part of that. And I think everybody recognizes that, you know, if we weren't there as an industry, if we didn't have those interactions, you know, it's already on social media. They're trying to sweep the industry, like pretend like we don't exist, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but, you know, 50% of Americans, roughly 50% of Americans, you know, households, on firearms. You know, you look at the the size of us, we are big, you know, in the outdoor recreation industry space, which is a, you know, we are we're a 60 billion dollar year industry in the outdoor recreation space. So all this outdoor rec that everybody always wants to talk about, all of it is 700 billion dollars a year and we are 10% of it. And the other thing that's unique about firearms industry is we are domestic largely. Mm-hmm. Right. We are, you know, it's not like these are jobs. It's not like textiles where like the other outdoor recreation space, you know, you've got, you know, they're like, Hey, we're a $700 billion industry. We're making a bunch of tents in China. That's not what we are doing. We are American jobs. We are American manufacturing. We are, you know, employees in your, you know, our, our supply chain, you know, you're building America when you're, when you're working in the firearms world, when you're buying firearms, when you're out hunting with our stuff, like this is us. This mm-hmm. is America. This is our culture. This is who we are. And, uh, you know, th- there aren't a lot of places that want to acknowledge that right now, even within that outdoor rec space, it's tough to get people to acknowledge that a huge part of that is firearms related. And so 
we really need to have these events, these opportunities. Whenever we get an opportunity to get together and high five and shake hands, we need to do that so that people see us and that people realize, yeah, this is normal. This is cool. This is Americans. This is who we are. I want to be a part of this. Like that messaging is critically important uh, for if we want to have our Second Amendment rights continue. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. Let's shift things a little bit and talk about just recently. So I met you and you were also testifying against a few proposed bills here in Colorado. And I was actually surprised when I started talking to you and I was like, oh, what organization are you from? And you're like NSSF. And I was like, huh, that's actually an organization that doesn't really come to mind when you think about, you know, who's there lobbying, you know, for or against uh, in our favor. And I'll say, so this past week, so this is my first experience testifying and I did not know what to expect at all. Like, I think I'm going to put out a video maybe in the next day or two, just telling people how they can get involved and how they can testify because I had no idea. And I think that a lot of these organizations just assume like they probably have been around it so long that they don't, they just assume that everybody knows how to sign up to testify or they know what to expect. And I kind of went in the whole thing just, you know, very blindly, but it was very eye opening. And of course there was three proposed bills. It was SB 23 dash, I think 168, 169 and 170. And it was all, you know, stuff that's going to cripple the gun industry. And they all got passed, unfortunately. But I don't, I mean, although I felt defeated, I don't think that it was a waste of time. And it was a long day. I think it was what, like 10 hours or something. Uh, well, I think I left there at 10 p.m. So was, I think. yeah, so 12. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was definitely long. As soon as I did my last testimony, I was like, I'm out. I, it's hard just to sit there and like stay still. I'm so active and they only give you a quick little break. And it was, I mean, it's tough. It's not easy. But I do think that it was very eye-opening. I don't regret going at all. If, if anything, I want to be more active. But and, it, and like I said, it was it was eye-opening. So for one, I was really like taken back by how many people were wearing red, which is, you know, essentially a mom's demand action, people that support mom's demand action. And even one of the senators, uh, Senator, I forget her first name, Gonzalez, she even, you know, was on the board and shows up wearing a red blazer, which I was like, wow, okay, tell me that you already know, you know, how you're going to vote without telling me you, you already know. And I don't think it was a coincidence, which I actually was kind of actually, I, I thought about this. I'm like, wouldn't it be funny though, if gun supporters actually started showing up in red and we just threw off, like totally threw off mom just demand action and just screwed up their entire marketing scheme. Yeah, it's funny how they, you know, they co-op colors, they co-op, you know, jeans, whatever, you know, it's just, it's, there's a lot that goes on there. I think that, I mean, there's a lot of games. I didn't realize how many, and really you also wonder like how, like seriously this is taken because I even noticed that like a lot of the senators were even taking pictures or videotaping stuff. And yeah. it's, I'm just like, what, like how how, I don't know. I just thought it was like sort of unprofessional. And this is during when people were, you know, were testifying, but I don't know. The whole thing was just really eye opening. So I have a few questions because I know right now there's a lot going on and not just within Colorado, which Colorado, our gun rights, we're about to like lose quite a bit, but even Washington. So what was it yesterday? They just passed the assault weapons ban. And so it's not even just happening in certain states. I think 
it's happening nationwide. And if you think you're safe, like in Wyoming, maybe Texas, states that you would typically think are a little bit more 2A friendly, I don't think anyone's safe. And I think if anything, we do, you know, we need to show up to these. And I'm a firm believer in there's power in numbers and make our presence shown because even if senators or, you know, whoever your representatives are, they already show up and they know which way they're going to vote. I still think that we make an impact by showing how many gun owners or how many people there are in favor of the Second Amendment. So I wanted to ask you for people who are in other states and they want to get involved. And I've always encouraged people to, you know, write representatives, tell them how you feel, because even if it does fall on deaf ears, they still have to document it. It's still one of those things where, again, it's power in numbers. But I'm starting to think that we also need to testify. And unfortunately, I don't think that we can solely rely on these pro-gun organizations to be there and tell us, you know, or to, to serve for us. Although they did a great job, I still think that, you know, if there's more people testifying against these bills as opposed to in favor, I think that eventually it is going to have an impact on, you know, a lot of politicians. Yeah, so, there's a lot, lot to unpack in that. I know. Right? I just uh, so it's it's been on my mind ever since I left. And I'm just like, you know, the wheels in my head are just turning. And it would like I said, it was just very eye opening. I don't I'm going to break it down into some pieces. Yeah. So maybe like, look, you know, kind of go at it that way. So first I would say, you know, regarding the first thing you mentioned is like, there's, there's a lot going on. You said, you know, it's um, people showing up and have they got their decisions already made? And in a lot of cases, the answer to that is yes. So why are they taking, you know, video? Because, you know, this is a battle, mm-hmm. you know, it's a war and it's been going on and, when people see these bills come out, there's this thought process. The ideas for these bills have been rolling around out there. Mm-hmm. And there are entities, it's Brady, it's Giffords, who are literally on the phone today conspiring to figure out how they can trip up your Second Amendment rights. Mm-hmm. And they have, they pay a lot more money than we pay. Mm-hmm. And so if you think, you know, there's X number of lobbies, I mean, you literally have billionaires who are shoveling money yeah. at them to put together an organized theater. And that theater is meant to influence, you know, it's meant to influence those decision makers. And some of those decision makers, you know, most of these decision makers, right? They're they're folks who they have hundreds of people who want their ear all the time and are trying to get their attention on all these different issues. And they're not, you know, one issue. Typically, there's some exceptions, but they're not these one issue, you know, lawmakers. They've they've got a bunch going on, and so. Entities who are very astute have been for some time trying to figure out how to get these guys to believe that they have more power than they have, to listen to their talking points. And so they do things like what? Hand out free Mm T-shirts to a bunch of people. And I mean, you saw it in the Colorado State Capitol. When you've got a group that's willing to use kids, so you have a a school district in Denver where the school board organizes a walkout and then from a school that's colors are what red and white and then you know sanctions students in a high school skipping school for a day to go make a scene out of walking down the road so they can get pictures mm-hmm. and that's that's what it is it's theater yeah and then they get, and then they get those you know they get those pictures in the newspaper and they get those pictures in you know on tv and so the idea is you know it's all it's this it's theater to make it seem like, oh, everybody's behind us. Everybody agrees with, 
with what we're about to do, none of those high school students know knew what you know what these proposals were. None of them understand the intricacies of this. And to be frank, most of the members of Moms Demand Action who are there in their red shirts, they couldn't tell you the first thing about the industry, yeah. about how those bills work. They couldn't tell you about Bruin. They can't discuss, you know, the intricacies of the Second Amendment. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if you ask them what an assault weapon is and you held up a broom, they're gonna, you know, and it's black and said, This is an assault weapon. Oh, I hate that thing, you know. Yeah. It's an AR-15 and it's like a, you know, it's a bunch of black, you know, garbage. They wouldn't know. They don't know. I do wonder if, not to cut you off, but I did notice that there was a lot of people wearing red shirts and they didn't testify, which makes me wonder if they were just paid to sit there wearing the red shirt. And I'm not going to say whether, you know, but it was just from speculation. That's kind of what it seemed like. Or, I mean, maybe they were too nervous to testify, but it was odd to me that you would sit there for 10 hours and not, you know, say what's on your mind. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of these, you know, kind of moving on with that, pro- that, you know, the thought process before, I mean, the challenge is a lot of these folks, they're not there to testify. Mm-hmm. And that's because they know that those lawmakers, and this is something that we have to get better at is understanding how this game is played and it's chess. Mm-hmm. So when should people hear from you? Your, they should hear from you in June. They should hear from you in August. They should hear from you in November, your decision makers, especially if you live in an area where your representative has a D next to their name, mm-hmm. you need to have that person out to your gun range. You need to email them. They Most of these representatives, they'll send out an email list and they'll say like, oh, I'm going to be at this coffee shop, you know, and we're going to do, I'm going to do coffee with the ladies and we're going to talk with everyone. I want to hear from my constituencies. I don't, you know, if, if you care about your second amendment rights, I don't care if you don't care about the other issues, you better be at that coffee shop. Because that's when these decisions are made. Hmm. These decisions are made because they are being, you know, lobbied. They're being lobbied all the time, you know, by constituents, by lobbyists who are visiting with them. It's not just the testimony. Testimony is great. It can be eye-opening. Mm-hmm. The most powerful thing about testimony is it's in public. So if you have something important to say, they know that you said it in front of them. And there's a recording of it. So when yeah. you warn them that, you know, you're still like, hey, I just want you to know you guys are missing this thing that you should be doing and doing something else instead. Mm-hmm. They hear that because now they've heard that in public, but they need to have heard it in private first or they're not, it's not going to affect their decisions necessarily. So, and how those- do people, how do they, sorry to cut you off. I just, I want to. Oh, but how are people supposed to know when these are happening? Because I don't think I've ever received an email like that where they're, I mean, do you just follow their social media? Do you get on their mailing list? Get on their mailing list. So you need to find whoever represents you uh-huh. it, wherever you are at, and you need to become known by them so that they know you. Like if there's a gun issue, if you're in a district where one of these people is voting anti-Second Amendment and they don't know you well enough to know that oh, if I'm going to vote some way, I'd better call Ava first or I'm going to hear from her mm-hmm. because we're, we're friends or at least, you know, we're, they respect your opinion. If they don't hear from you before the session, you're behind the eight ball because all those ladies in red shirts, they heard from a bunch of those ladies. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, that's the challenge that we face is like, we tend to be in the second amendment community. We tend to be very independent, right? Yeah. We don't expect government to do our job for us. We don't expect other people to protect us. 
You know, we're like, I'm going to live my life. You live your life. That's, that's how we feel. That's who we are. The problem is that's not who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, the, our, our, the, the people who are working against us are, are very much, you know, collective. They're like, oh, I'm going to, you know, we're going to get society to a certain spot where I'm going to make society do this and society do that. And I'm going to, it's, it's a lot of group think. And so we have to realize that that is what they do. And we have to give ourselves the tools to push back against that group think. And, you know, the, we, we, we can't do that if we just, you know, we assume that if we leave, leave everybody else alone, they're going to leave us alone. They have no intention of leaving us alone. Yeah, actually. Yeah. So I'm just making notes here. So get on their mailing list and then also, okay, but let's say, so now here we are, we're in March. I know there's a lot of people that are upset about, you know, especially with Washington right now. So how can they sign up to testify? And I know it varies from state to state, but that was another thing that I was like, man, I wish there was kind of, you know, something I wish if nothing else, like RMGO, which, you know, they're Rocky Mountain gun owners. They're in Colorado. I wish if anything else, like they were like, hey, you know, sign up to testify virtually or in person, click here. But that was it. They didn't say, make sure that you select this, then you scroll down and you select this because all you know is like, okay, you select like that you're representing yourself or a corporation. Okay. You clicked, you know, in my case, I clicked on self. And then after that, I was like, oh, where do I go? So, and, but I'm not into politics at all. I would imagine, you know, obviously people who like you, who do this all the time, it'd be a no brainer. But for people like me, it was like, it took me a second to like, okay, how do I navigate this? So what would you recommend? Like, how do people find out when these are taking place and how do they sign up to testify? Great question. So the first thing I would say is it's different in every state. Mm -hmm. They have these wonky little, you know, processes in each state. And so we have to kind of learn, you know, in each state, how to look out for them. And then the states, states are very, I mean, this is such a, you know, we could talk all day about this, but the challenge that you face, you've got to find, you got to get linked in somehow. And so that's where we, I would say, you know, there are phenomenal groups out there that you need to be a member of, you know, if, uh, and some of them, you know, they, they all, there's, I mean, it, this is like a, a battle and there are different players in the battlefield. There's artillery and there's, you know, some guy who's like concentrating on one little thing. And then there's other guys who are just, you know, logistics. And so anyway, it's, it's, it's very similar in politics in our space, in the gun space. And so I would tell you, don't be scared to be, you know, a member of a variety of different organizations like RMGO, you should be a member of the NRA. You should be, you know, you, we don't have to pick in the gun space. You don't have to say like, ah, I'm, I'm just this and I'm not that mm-hmm. because all these groups do different things that are beneficial and they're all going to have a different take and they all are muscle and that's muscle that you need. And, you know, they're going to do a, you know, Taylor Rhodes is going to, you know, he's going to have some type of a feed where he's going to be able to, you know, some, something's going to hit his interest. And so you're going to, and he's going to reach out about that. The NRA is going to do the same thing. They have member alerts. And so something's going to hit their interest. They're going to get that out. That said, one of the challenges of working in the States is laws go so fast. Mm -hmm. So on the federal level, if somebody wants to have a federal law, you're typically talking about multiple sessions of Congress before something can happen. That's actually a really good thing because it keeps us when, you know, somebody comes into office, you know, in a 
the you know the current administration, right? They come in and they're like, yeah, I'm going to change the world in the next six months. And well, we don't want them changing the world in the next six months. With regards to our Second Amendment rights, we want to make sure that we aren't Britain, where you know they can you can get one party in power and they can change your world in two seconds. Mm-hmm. Luckily, we live in this country where our forefathers were were smart enough to have significant checks and balances. Government is not supposed to work fast in this country. That's the way it was designed. It was designed because our forefathers knew that government sucks. And the more they can do to make it run slow, the more people have an opportunity to keep from getting run over by it. Well, in the States, it's it's different. And, you know, Colorado's got 120 days to work. These bills that showed up, we didn't see these bills until a week before they, sh- you know, were, were potentially going to hit the doorstep. Somebody leaked a couple of them, but th- at the same time, you know, we all recognize that when those bills got numbers, you know, we had like a week and a half, and all of a sudden they they have a hearing, and then after they have a hearing, those bills are on the floor right now. As we're talking, a body which is controlled by a certain party that has, you know, basically it's marching orders already. Like they're working those bills and they're going to shift them to the other house with the intent to pass those bills. And I would, I would guess we have three weeks, you know, to work these, to work these issues. And that's, that's, you know, that's the frightening part about these state politics. And you, you have to be involved with agencies, with, with groups like that, that keep their pulse on those state policies. And it's a community effort. Like we all have to help each other out, you know? So that's why those relationships are important because I'm going to depend on hearing from you about your discussion with your representative in Colorado. And your representative is going to tell you if you have a relationship like, oh yeah, you know, mom's demand action came and talked to me and they, they said this and they don't think that's fair. Well, if you need to have that relationship so that you can then say, Hey, I heard, you know, this is what's coming because we don't know what's coming. Mm-hmm. You know, these things get, these things do get written in a back room and then, you know, dropped into the legislature and they just, they move so fast at the state level that it's, you know, it can be shocking. So what do we need to do at this point? You need to call people. So if you're listening to this and you live in the state of Colorado, you literally need to call the governor's office. And when you call, here's the challenge. You got to be respectful mm-hmm. because it doesn't matter whether somebody has a D or an R mm-hmm. next to their name. If we want that person to act a certain way, I mean, think about this. If we show up and somebody immediately says, hey, guess what? I'm your enemy. I want you to do what I want. Like, it's not very effective. You know, it's, you know, we, the chances of us being successful at getting that person to change their mind, it's zero. The challenge that we face on these issues is we don't have to carve off everybody. We have to get one person, two people. We have to get, you know, it's it's this 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 battle is won individual by individual, winning, winning a few points here and a few points there from a few key legislators. That is how Colorado is going to be now for a long time. And so that's why it's very important that you know these relationships, that you build these relationships. And it can't just be with people with an R next to their name. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to have a positive working relationship with somebody that's got a D next to their name. And it doesn't matter what you think about the rest of their policies. I would say, please, if you care about the Second Amendment, set all that aside and just talk to them about guns. Mm-hmm. Just talk to them about, okay, I be- we have a right. 
and and they and they have the same right, and that's an important distinction to make. There's a lot of people like if you live in downtown Denver, it doesn't matter, you know, where you came from, who you are, who your parents are, you know, what your political affiliation is. You have a right to protect yourself, and that's your right and my right and everybody's right, and and you should exercise that just like I should. It belongs to all of us, and if we let it be partisan, you know what happens? It's like the person with the biggest checkbook. And, or the you know the, the the party that's in power then controls that right. Mm-hmm. We can't let that happen. We can't afford to. And the founding fathers absolutely didn't want that to happen. That's why in the Second Amendment it says shall not be infringed. It doesn't matter how many people are there, you know. But the challenge again for us is we have to be able to carve off enough, you know, listening opportunities on that side so that we don't have to face this every year. So, you know, and there are some folks who we've, you know, can reach out to. There are people with D's next to their name right now who are pro second amendment. I know that's super hard to believe, but I promise you they exist in the Colorado, you know, in the, in the house of representatives and the Senate, and they may not see everything the exact same way, but if you can find those people and you find those people, by respectfully calling them and talking to them and saying, I, I want to share my perspective with you, not you're evil and you're bad and I'm going to I'm gonna crush you, but saying like, no, we may have a different perspective, but I'll, please hear my perspective because you are my representative. Mm-hmm. You have a responsibility to represent me, so I want you to know where I am coming from. If you get three of those people, if you get one of those people on a committee, right, you got it. Yeah. One. If you get, you know, you know, four of those people here, 10 of those people there. And it's a, it's a group effort, right? Because, you know, I'm trying to talk to every one of them. You can just talk to yours. If you'll concentrate on your representative, you're going to make RMGO's job easier. You're going to make NSSF's job, you know, you're going to make it tenable. You're going to make it something that we can do because you guys have the relationships built. And so they, and so they'll give us the time of day because of the personal relationship they have with you. So if you don't have it yet, make, you know, this next year, make it, take them to the range, you know, take them hunting, take them to do something because, you know, if you only, I mean, it's important that people show up to testify. If we only show up on this one day, you know, it's Michael Jordan had that saying, it's like every, you know, the, about practicing, right. It's like anytime you're not practicing, somebody else is. And when you meet them, they will beat you. Mm -hmm. That's how this works. That's how this game is played. Every day that we're not working to to change somebody's perspective about the firearms industry and to win them over, somebody else is trying to bury us. And when we meet them, they will beat us. We can't afford to sit on our hands. Mm-hmm. I agree. So then what would you recommend for Washington, people in Washington to do right now? Boy. And I know out. it may not be your state, but I know a lot well, of people right now just feel like their hands are tied behind their back. But Yeah. My great friend, you know, a good good buddy is work for NSSF. You know, one of my coworkers is working there right now, and I don't know if, it's, if he wants me to throw his name out or not. I'd probably leave him out of it, mm-hmm. just because. And this kind of addresses a different question you had, but you know, I want him to be able to be the most effective that he can. But you know, we this time of year, he's working eighteen hour days just like me, and mm-hmm. we don't do weekends. You know, it's nonstop until everybody quits. So that what you can do in Washington is find the NRA. And sign up, you know, find the local gun group and sign up and ask them what you can do. And then the other thing that I would say, 
there's some companies, there are people who are on the front lines of this issue, you know, little gun shops who end up being, you know, targeted in lawsuits who then end up being the face of the industry who are, you know, there's a little, you know, gun shop in Boulder who is, you know, fighting these battles and getting the stays. Go to those shops and buy a gun mm-hmm. and buy ammo and buy a t-shirt and tell them thank you and you know support the industry and then and support those organizations and some of them i mean the easiest thing to do as a gun owner right is find the gun shop that does the best job of doing outreach and teaching people out you know reaching out and buy guns there and be part of that community too because you know that is you know that's creating the momentum and that's supporting the people that are you know in the lawsuits you know, consider being one of the people, you know, who reach out to NRA and say, I am a, I am a citizen in Colorado. This negatively affects me. And this is how, and when they say, you know, when they're looking for plaintiffs, if you're the right person, consider doing it. Cause again, I, I know all this is scary and all of it is new and all of it is different, but it's a battle. It's really is kind of, it's an, you know, it's a war and it's not a war with bullets. It's a, it's a words war. Mm-hmm. It's a leverage war. And it is one that you, we absolutely have to be willing to fight it. And the tough part is it's, it's a sneaky war. So it's not one that like you fight angry. It's yeah. one you fight with smiles and cookies. Yeah. But Which it's hard not to get angry. Cause you're just like, what, like, how do you even believe this? You know, it's really hard not to let your emotions get the best of you, but I agree. And I think you gain a lot more being professional than, you know, than the opposite. Yeah. And we need some, you know, there are some people who, you know, we have our angry voices Mm -hmm. and that's, uh, that's okay. Yeah. It's totally okay for, you know, some groups to be, you know, the, uh, you know, the right flank. That's all right. You know, if we have that, then, you know, that nobody would be, nobody would be holding down that patch of ground. What we need to do also, though, is make sure if you, you know, if you feel really, really strongly about a given thing, make sure that you don't, you know, make sure you don't shoot somebody in friendly fire. You know, there are allies in this. If somebody is your ally, you know, don't accidentally, like, we don't need to beat up on each other. We can, you know, we, we need to be united and realizing that even, you know, I guarantee you the other side knows this. There's some ultra progressive people over there who want to take away every, you know, spoon that you have in your, you know, because somebody could, you know, you turn it into a weapon someday. And then there are those who are on that side who don't understand that them trying to control something tiny plays into the overall narrative of, you know, us losing our second amendment rights. Well, you know, we need to to make sure that we recognize that, you know, there's a spectrum of thoughts and beliefs on our side as well. And regardless of whether or not somebody else is as hardcore as, as you, like it's okay for them not to be as hardcore as you, as long as they're not the other guys, mm-hmm. as long as you can keep them on your side. Because at the end of the day, we can't afford to, to lose each other. You know, it's just, yeah. it's just work. I agree. And I do have something more to add to that. But before I do, I'm going to take a quick break, talk about Mantis. If you haven't checked out the Laser Academy from Mantis, definitely recommend it. 
It's a great visible way to train with your firearm. The Laser Academy gives you everything that you need to practice with your smartphone app and improve your skills without the cost of ammo because you're dry firing. The standard kit comes with a choice of calibers for the laser, a carrying case, two tripods and phone holders, a target stand, and all of that is $150. Or if you want just the portable kit, you can get that for $99. The app has a bunch of drill options that you can run as well as fun practice options to make things interesting. It currently has 14 different drills, including dual modes. So if you have a friend that also has a Mantis, you guys can do a friendly competition, which I think makes it a lot more fun as well. Check these out at mantisx.com. I actually, I will say, and I want to apologize to the NRA, but one thing that I noticed when I was at you know, the Capitol is I didn't see that the NRA was present. And I posted that I posted that, you know, the NRA and GOA, they were not present. And I do think that in a way it is important for people to know, you know, which organizations are actually showing up to the Capitol and fighting because I don't believe that they're not getting quite a bit of money. And I know that, and I'm not saying like the NSSF or specifically, you know, GOA or anything like that, but I mean, there are a lot of organizations, whether they're really large or small, that are not putting the money, the donations towards the fight and they're lining their pockets. And it's extremely frustrating because I think a lot of people that, you know, feel, okay, if they can't be present to fight or they just don't have the time, but they do, they have a good job, they can make donations and they do so. I think it's important to know like who shows up and who doesn't. One thing, so there was somebody there representing the NRA and I remember seeing his face. I don't remember him testifying, but one thing that I was really surprised by was all of you guys that are involved in organizations, whether you're representing, you know, RMGO, NSSF, DC Project. I'm surprised that when we had that quick break that you guys didn't introduce yourselves to people who were on your side or at least make your presence a little bit more known. I mean, especially the NRA, because even though there's a lot of other organizations popping up and they're gaining momentum, at the end of the day, the NRA is still the largest gun organization. And I think that it's really like imperative to show that presence because the only thing that's really helping us right now are just lawsuits that come out from passing these laws. And I think, you know, just making that presence known is extremely important more than ever. So I'm kind of surprised that, I mean, is that normal for people within these organizations not to introduce themselves to other like-minded people? I don't think I did that great of a job testifying. I was really nervous. I didn't write anything down. I thought that I would just go up and like have some bullet points. But then when I got into the room, I was like, oh, this is kind of nerve wracking because you get up there, you're one of four people to testify. So I'm like, okay, let me just quickly write down what I'm going to say. And I still kind of screwed that up. But there was people like Alicia, who is the boomstick babe on Instagram. I've had her on my show before. She spoke really well. So I'm surprised that organizations like people from these organizations of nothing else don't go up to the people that speak really well and are serving the gun industry well. And if nothing else, just introduce yourselves or give you, you know, their card or something like that. That's, it's a great point, point well taken. And it's something that certainly, you know, you're not wrong in saying that we can do a better job at that. I certainly can as a, you know, representing NSSF, you know, I cover, during a session like this, I'm literally going to be in every state in the Rockies and the upper Midwest. And so one of the challenges, you know, just kind of a cop out 
for somebody like you know the NRA, they don't cover. I'm going to just throw them under the bus. They don't cover as many states as we have to cover NSSF, but they'll have four or five states, mm-hmm. and, you know, that they're going to have to you know to to manage and and try and figure out what's going on, and then you know manage relationships. And most of the relationships that those lobbyists work on building, of course, are going to be with you know they're going to be working legislators, going to mm-hmm. be trying to get you know, legislators, and then um, so. Usually when I walk into a committee room, it, you know, it's going to take after X number of years, if you have members of the public who are regulars and keep coming, you'll start to build those relationships where I can recognize when somebody comes in, um, I'm like, oh, perfect. I know that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I probably shouldn't be one of those guys that's nervous about like, oh, I don't know who's on my side. Who yeah. Well, I'm but shaking. I would I would think after like the first testimony that you'd be like, OK, that person's a gun person. They were opposed to this bill. And then, yep. you know, or even just sitting next to I mean, at one point when we first started, I was on the other side of the room and the guy that I was sitting next to, you could just tell he was getting annoyed when people would refer to guns as like assault rifles or assault weapons. And so you can kind of feel out, you know, some people. And I just think that it's a good opportunity, if nothing else, to have these conversations, but also, you know, trade cards with them, which you were the only person that really traded cards with me. But, you know, so that you could also maybe send out an email list or something and just be like, hey, guys, there's another chance to, you know, testify against this bill if you want to show up. And then also, I noticed that the guy from FPC when I, you know, called out the NRA and GOA, he wrote on my Instagram page. He wasn't very nice about it, but I looked at his account. He hasn't posted anything since 2014. And I'm not saying that you guys have to be extremely active on social media and I get it. It's a pain in the ass. Like if I didn't do what I'm doing, I don't even think I would have a social media account. But I do think that it's another platform to get the word out. And if nothing else, you know, like the guy that was there representing the NRA, I looked at his account. He did post quite a few, you know, political things, which I was happy to see. And after talking to him and apologizing to him, he actually ended up being like a really nice guy. But I am surprised that you guys aren't using that platform to also get the word out. Like there's just and I get it. You guys probably have your hands full. And like you said, you're working 18 hour days. I mean, just being at the Capitol, even though we're just sitting there doing nothing, it's exhausting. And it's exhausting to hear from like all the people and, you know, all the opposing side. And it's like and the crap that they come up with. I get it. But I feel like there's a lot more to be done. I That's fair. And uh, so the first off, say don't feel sorry for anybody that works, you know, representing the industry because it's the, it's the coolest job on earth. Like what could be cooler than like our job is to I mean, if if you don't, if you do this job and you don't believe you need a new job yeah. because it's the That's, money is worth it yeah. for the, but it's, it's something we all believe in. And then, you know, to be, to be fair to some of those other groups, I would say what's unique about lobbying. And this is why we need, like, we're not influencers, you know, you've probably, you shouldn't see my, you know, you shouldn't identify me as you, as everything good or bad about the industry. And that's one of the challenges lobbyists face, right? Is that we work, we work with both sides. We work with the guy who's in there with the guy that leaves and, mm-hmm. you know, with the R's and D's and you need to be able to, you know, we have to be able to walk into those offices as soon as somebody hates me because of what I, you know, post on my Instagram feed and I can't get in his office. I'm mm-hmm. no longer effective for you. That makes sense. So, 
so we, you know, we really do kind of, you know, we, we, we aren't as visible. There are some guys that like, it's their job to be as visible. And you'll see this with the different organizations. You may have an organization that, you know, their job is, is they've taken a different tack than us. You know, they're going to say like, my job is to punch you in the face. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not my job, but if their job is that organization is what they, that's what they do. Well, you're going to see an entirely different public persona and presence from a guy who works for that organization than you will from an organization that is, you know, noticeably, you know, we're nonpartisan, if you will. And so you're just going to see, you know, different aspects of that. That said, yeah, we can do better, especially, you know, social media, we have national social media presence. And so for industry members, of course, you know, everybody, first of all, we're kind of still a small shop. And so we have two guys at the net, you know, who are our social media shop mm-hmm. at NSSF who are doing, you know, managing, you know, you're going to see if you, if you Google Mark Oliva, you're going to see Mark's quotes pop up in every, you know, story on, you know, you know, pick your website that you love that, you know, gives you gun stuff. You're going to have stuff, you know, more stuff than you want to dig through. And that's, you know, we, we, we depend on that kind of bifurcation of responsibility. And then part of it is also, you know, you've got Nephi Cole on your show today who's going to say something dumb and somebody's going to have to correct me. And my boss wants to not have to correct, you know, all of us all the time. And so we do depend on certain people to be kind of the public face, but it's something we we're trying to get better at is allowing, you know, being more vocal and, you know, staying on message is always a challenge too. You know, it's like, we have to, you know, one of these bills comes out, it's a real challenge. And I'm sure you've seen it, you know, the Colorado bill hits, we have to read through that bill. That bill, although it was it was written in the same room probably as the Washington bill, so the mm-hmm. liability bills, mm-hmm. you've probably got the same guy who uh, is evil and I don't like him at all, who is helping these organizations run, you know, develop these, you know, bills, these gotcha bills that are going to go after the industry, but it's going to be different in each state. So, you know, we have to look at that Colorado bill. We have to make sure that when we say something about that bill, you know, if I'm going to be an effective lobbyist, it better be true. Mm-hmm. It better be on the money because if not, you lose then, your credibility right off the bat. Yep. And then when I need to get that person to, to you know, to change their idea mm-hmm. on a vote, they're going to be like, why should I listen to that guy? All that guy does is yell at me and, you know, mm-hmm. mischaracterize stuff. And so it's, it's challenging. And as I make all these excuses, the number one thing I need to say is I need to do my job better. You know, we all need to do our jobs better in this space if we represent the industry and, and the best thing that you, you know, that the listener can do to help us is to be, you know, part of our team to be, you know, to have us accountable to you by being, you know, be, by telling us like, Hey, you're missing a bill or you're missing an issue in that bill. Like nothing is more valuable to us than feedback. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we do need to build friendships better. And then if you are an influencer, I would say this. And so this is not, you know, I'm not calling, this is not calling Ava out. I'm just saying there are a lot of people who have a big voice in our industry Mm -hmm. and I'm friends with a lot of them. And they don't do anything. It's challenging, right? Because it's really frustrating. Yes. Well, and and the other problem is let's say you have a giant, let's say you have 3.5 million YouTube followers and some of my friends do. And YouTube has certain rules and restrictions where they have done a very good job of making it so that my friends in the industry risk losing everything if they speak, mm-hmm. if they use the First Amendment, because how many strikes do you get yeah. before suddenly you, you know, and your employees 
are affected. By- but there's there's also a lot of other platforms that they could do like speak on. And that's one of the reasons why I've become a little bit more political in recent years is because I'm like, I can't sit here and in good conscience make money off the industry, which I do. I'm not, you know, I'm very transparent about like I, I do. This is I make a living off the industry. My entire career is based off the gun industry, but I cannot sit here and make money off of it and not be active and have a voice and, you know, like put my foot down when something isn't working in our favor and try to get more people involved. And I also think, you know, as a voice, I feel like you kind of have an obligation to speak up and tell people what's going on because if they're not in the gun industry, they're typically not going to know what's going on. I mean, that would be like you working for Microsoft and you're just like, oh man, did you hear about Apple? Because you're in that electronic industry. And I'm like, no, I have no idea what's going on with them. You know, we eat and breathe guns in the 2A, but like if other people, they just know that, hey, I watched this review, they have a cool gun out, I'm going to go buy it and that's about it. So I think that we, you know, I think we have an obligation to speak up and let people, if nothing else, let them know what's going on and how they can get active. And I think that, you know, I would be happy even just with that, just, you know, with educating the general public. I Amen. I think you're 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 right and i really appreciate that and that's like hopefully you know my dream world that's what we see is we see the you know when the influencers are out there and who have the voice you can call people to arms without telling them they have to go you know burn the capital down Mm -hmm. but you know the best thing that they can do is just tell people things just like you know you're doing here today it's just telling you know encouraging people to get involved for real Mm -hmm. not not just you know, not just because, you know, mom's demand action managed to get three crappy bills, you know, dropped on our doorstep. But, you know, we need to change hearts and minds like long term. The most mm-hmm. important thing an influencer can do is make sure, you know, I said there, there are 14 million new gun owners Yeah. over the course of the pandemic, it's like 5% of Americans that, you know, and you, guess what, guess which political party they belong to. Oh, they're not part of our side. They, no, they mostly they lean left. And I realized that. And that's why I think also, so me living in New York city, having a background where it's like, yeah, I kind of wasn't always like, and I'm not super far right either. I'm actually, I just think anything extreme is a little, like a little much. I'm very much in the middle, but I think if you could find common ground or even tell them, like there was a lady who testified and she was like, I'm scared shitless of guns. I'll never own a gun, which I was like, never say never. But I wanted to go up to her and be like, look, I'll train you for free. Like, I think, you know, once you take away a lot of that fear, and I totally understand this because 11 years ago when I shot my first gun, it was scary. I mean, for the longest time, anytime I'd hold a gun in my hand, I would like my heartbeat would increase. And that's because if you have half a brain, you realize like, hey, if you don't know what you're doing, maybe you shouldn't mess around with this gun. But I think once, you know, with education and experience, it takes away a lot of that fear and then you're able to think about something a lot more rationally as opposed to using emotions which is what the other side loves to do 100 percent. okay so i don't want to take a lot more of your time but one thing i do want to add is if anybody wants to testify virtually there is that option there's one good thing that actually came out from covid And I think looking back, I'm like, man, that's kind of the way to go, because at least then if I were to testify virtually, I'm like, cool, I can clean my house, kind of keep my speaker on, you know, just kind of listen. And then when they call my name, 
go up and testify. So if you are really busy and you can't take, you know, the time, like for me, I drove from Colorado Springs to Denver. It was an hour and a half in the morning getting up there because of traffic. So I would strongly encourage you guys, if nothing else, testify virtually, sign up that way. And then I think just one last thing, you wanted to highlight the Financial Industry Non-Discrimination Act anti-ESG, which is affecting Utah and Idaho, correct? Yeah, there's a number of bills that we're working still. So Utah and Idaho, Utah, we passed it. So ESG is environmental social governance. And it's people that it's an active effort by the same people that are doing the stuff in Colorado to deny access to the financial services and insurance market to the industry. And so when you see these, they're called an anti-ESG bill, but they're bills that are basically say that you cannot, if you want to contract with a state, you want some state money from a given state, you can't have a discriminatory policy against Second Amendment related companies. So that bill is working its way through the session in Idaho right now. These two you know, anti-ESG bills in Utah, they're just waiting for the governor's signature. In Montana, the Financial Industry Non-Discrimination Act is currently, it's in its second chamber. So it's, it's on a good trajectory there. So those are, are wins that we hope, you know, we're going to get this year. And, and we have those types of wins throughout, you know, the country. We, you know, there's a lot of, we're on the offense in a lot of areas. In Wyoming this year, we passed a bill, at, you know, to, to allow you to hunt predators with thermal and night vision. We got $10 million for a shooting sports facility in the state of Wyoming. And, uh, you know, so this is the type of stuff we're doing everywhere all the time. Um, it doesn't get that much attention, but just know that like these guys, the NRA guys and the NSSF guys, you know, we, we don't know each other well enough, but just know that like legitimately, you know, people are working to, you know, they're working for you. They're working on these issues in a positive way too, not just a reactive way. Mm -hmm. And I actually also want to just state that somebody did message me They're in Washington. They said that so far the people that have showed up the most are the NRA and NSSF. So for what that's worth, but. All right. So if anybody wants to become an NSSF member, I'm like you said, I'm assuming they have to be a company or something That's like right. it can't just be like, you know, the average person that doesn't own like That's something. That's correct. Okay. Yep. But if you are involved in the industry in any way, if you're an influencer on Instagram, if you are a writer or especially if you if you make manufacture move anything that has to do with guns components if you're an outfitter you work in the hunting space all these you know any any professional tie into the industry you can be a member of NSSF you can go and i believe it's nssf.org and look at our membership stuff and become a member of NSSF and you know and again it might sound silly but you know the most important thing you can do to support what we do for government relations is go to shot show might sound silly, but it's the truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You definitely explained it in a way that I was not seeing. So I appreciate that. And then if people want to follow you or, well, I guess I'm assuming maybe you don't want people to follow you, your specific Instagram, but maybe NSSF's social media, or if they're on Twitter or YouTube, where can they find those handles? Yep. And then, um, you know, NSSF.org, you can go in there and see our stuff. I would say you know, for me personally, you know, I also, uh, you know, if you want to be friends, hey, let's be friends. Just realize you're going to get lots of uh, pictures of a golden retriever and <laughs> uh, some, you know, a guy shooting elk nice. in slash competitions if you're hanging out with me on social media. And, uh, you know, and it's something, 
what you mentioned is something that we are discussing right now and taking to heart is okay. Do we need to shift our focus and do a better job on social also without, you know, making you, you know, you want me to represent you well. And so if you want like a middle-aged, you know, uh, moderately good shooters as your rep on social media. Well, we'll have to figure out how we can do a better job of <laughs> providing you content you're proud of. Don't forget, but, you also failed to mention that you have leopard print hair on one side. I do. It's, it grows. <laughs> I just want to be clear. <laughs> I did. Uh, actually, I literally thought that you had that done. I was like, that's really weird. I was like, and I didn't, this is even before I even knew that you were, you know, connected to the NSSF. I was just like, why is this guy showing up? Half his head has a leopard print, like dyed into his head. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. But now I'm like, man, that's actually kind of cool. <laughs> well, once you meet like, there, I'm going to be the only Nephi that you know. And, uh, you know, so it's, and it's funny, like people mention that to me all the time. I literally I can tell you truthfully, I've never seen it because right. It's like, yeah. I wake up in the morning and look in the mirror. I don't see a bunch of white spots on the side of my head, but they're there. Yeah. So all right, makes great. it uh, makes me an easier target. All right. Caldwell. Caldwell has some of the most affordable targets around. They offer AR-500 targets in a bunch of sizes and shapes with their 5-inch plates as low as $19.99, 8-inch ones for $37.99, and then full-size IPSC targets for $209.99, which is really affordable if you ever look at the cost of other steel. And then on top of that, it is super rugged and reliable. Mine have been taking a beating now for like the last two years. They stay outdoors. I don't have to break them down or anything like that just because I am friends with the person that the range is on. They're, you know, withstanding all the elements. And then when I go to shoot it, it's not like they're cracking or it's getting pitted or anything like that. So they definitely hold up. If you guys want to get some steel or any other goodies from Caldwell, head on over to caldwellshooting.com. Don't forget to use the code GUNFUNNY10, all one word for 10% off. Politics. What is going on in the world today? It's political AF. Today in politics, GOA files for preliminary injunction. On Monday, the Texas Attorney General Ken Paxson, Gunners of America, and others filed for a preliminary injunction in the Southern District of Texas to block the ATF's looming brace rule. The 33-page motion argues the Suit is likely to succeed in its merits, and the final rule unconstitutionally regulates handguns with braces, violates the Second and Fifth Amendments, and the ATF is exceeding its authority with the rule. Additionally, the motion highlights the ATF created the situation by greenlighting braces before backtracking by direction of the Biden administration. That doesn't change the decade of precedent set by ATF's previous rulings on legality of braces. The injunction relies on the legal definition in the Gun Control Act of 1968, where the definition regarding a short-barreled rifle, known as an SBR, is designed and intended to be fired from the shoulder. Instead, the ATF arbitrarily declared in the rule that they could be fired from the shoulder. Changes in legal definitions by an enforcement agency are not permitted by law. The NFA does not regulate pistols, and these are by definition pistols. The motion also cites Bruin and Heller, as well as goes after the NFA itself, because in effect, 
It is a tax on constitutional right. Lastly, they point out that the ATF is demanding that gun owners self-incriminate themselves and how they apply for the SBR, which violates the Fifth Amendment. So hopefully we'll see a positive response to the injunction soon as the potential consequences for gun owners. But yeah, that's something that I think of a lot of us as this gets closer and closer, we're all kind of wondering what to do with the braces that we have on our guns. And I've said this in previous shows. I personally, I'm not going to register as an SBR. I'm not doing anything. I'm just going to take the brace off and wait it out because I do think that this is going to be overturned. But again, all the more reason to support the organizations that are fighting the good fight for us. Yep. I think that's really smart to, you know, smart decision by you to just say, look, this is, you know, they give like four ways that are, you know, and that's a really simple one to just say, okay, suddenly, you know, 30 seconds later, I am not an, I'm yeah, not a, exactly. not, not a problem anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really, that's an interesting one where they, you know, that's, that's an obvious example of where the goalposts were just moved, which makes you just mm-hmm. wonder Okay, well, where are you going to move the goalpost to next time? Yeah, exactly. I know. And the last thing I want to do is now that I register as an SBR, now you know exactly which guns I have and which I will remind you guys when you buy a gun, it doesn't tell, you know, the ATF which exact gun you're buying. It's the FFL that has those records. But when you purchase a firearm, all they know is that you're buying a handgun or like a pistol, a long gun or another, like let's say a lower or something like that. Okay. Q&A. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. Today's Q&A is, hi, Ava. I'm an owner of not one, but two Desert Eagles. Despite its infamous reputation, I find it to be one of finest and best built weapons made today, especially considering its purpose as a hunting and range gun. However, I recognize these guns, like all big bore magnums, are difficult to shoot well, even for someone who has been shooting their entire life. It doesn't seem like anyone offers classes on mastering high power handguns. Any thoughts as to why this may be and would you consider teaching one if there was enough interest? That's actually a good question. I don't know. I guess, you know, I like the Desert Eagle 50 cal, I just, I mean, he said it best. They are difficult to shoot. I know even when Smith & Wesson gave me the 350 Legend, and I was like, wow, this is a pretty big caliber, and it's designed to take down elk or deer or whatever. But it actually was still a lot easier to shoot than, say, my, well, I don't have a Desert Eagle anymore, but I did. I had one chambered in 50 and I would say one, the biggest thing about hunting is I think morally, and I'm not a big hunter, but morally we have an obligation to make sure that the animal goes down as quick as possible and suffers as little as possible. And so I would say that whatever gun you're using, make sure that you shoot it really well. And I would think that, yes, I think desert eagles are built well, but it definitely has a lot of recoil and even if you are able to mitigate that recoil really well with, you know, how you hold and grip the gun and, you know, the amount of force that you apply with your arms and hands, I don't know, but it's, I don't know. It's what would you say? Like, this is, this is hard because it's like, yeah, I mean, if that's what you're going to hunt with, you definitely should train while using it. But I also just, I think that the desert Eagle is more of a, 
not gimmicky, but one of those guns that are just more fun that, but then again, I mean, if this is what this guy's using, I'm not going to hate against it as long as you can shoot it well. I'd say there's some, you know, you're always going to find, you know, people that specialize in given areas and, uh, Jana Waller actually, uh, if you, I don't know if you know, Jana, mm-hmm. she's kind of like one of the, she's like the godmother of the outdoor hunting women's movement, but Jana hunts with a desert Eagle. She hunts bears with it. Oh, interesting. Um, that's not all she hunts with it, but there certainly is a place. So for her, you know, she can hunt bears because, you know, it's the, the state she'll hunt them in with the desert Eagle, right? They're going to allow baiting. Yeah. She's going to be sitting in one spot, bears coming to her in other states during other seasons, or, you know, she's going to be packing around a 27, uh, 28 nozzler instead. And so, you know, a rifle with it, you know, a suppressor on it. So, Hey, knock yourself out. If that's something you love, I know that, you know, cameo shooting sports complex has, uh, you know, some big bore handgun matches where people get to, you know, per, you know, compete against others that like to shoot that type of gun. So if that's what you're into, just like some people are into bow hunting, they want to get up close and personal, knock yourself out. I think the, the one thing that's really exciting about the industry right now is that, you know, you mentioned the 350 legend. I'm a big fan of gas guns. I think that that's, you know, it certainly is the future numbers wise, but also hunting in outdoor space. There are a lot of things that they offer the AR platform that you can't get from something else in terms of controllability and follow-up and modularity, mm-hmm. you know, it's, there's, there's a really great opportunity right now. You don't have to be pigeonholed, you know, go find the gun that you're comfortable shooting right now that, and you said it absolutely right. Find the gun that you shoot well, and then start talking about, okay, how can I make this work for the type of game that I want to hunt? Because in the AR platform, you can go six creed more for something smaller. You can go six, five creed more. If you're going to shoot a little longer, you can go traditional three or eight. You can go three fifty legend. If you want a smaller frame gun. And for all those in most States, you can find out, you know, when you look at the specific gun that you're comfortable with, you can probably find a bullet that's going to work for the type of game you want to chase. As long as you know, the limitations of the gun and the limitations of the bullet, the limitations of yourself that allows you how to decide you're going to be able to get close enough to get the job done as long as you understand and are comfortable with what you shoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And then as far as training, I mean, I would say ask your instructor if you can take your gun, if you could take that, you know, that specific gun into a class and maybe, you know, do an advanced training with it. But I would say the biggest thing is just recoil management as far as like that caliber goes. But And, in, and, and a new job for ammo because you're going yeah. to Seriously, no, yeah, I agree. It's a good point. Okay, IWI. So if you're wanting a shotgun that will turn heads, definitely check out the TS-12 from IWI. It's only 28.3 inches long overall with a full 18.5 inch barrel thanks to the bullpup design. One of the coolest things about it is the three tube rotating magazine. Each tube can hold four three inch shells or five two by three fourths inch shells. They have a full length top rail for optics and M-lock slots for accessories on the sides. 
You can get them in FD, OD green, and then also your standard of black. They have two position gas regulator and they take Benelli chokes, which also means that you can suppress it. If you want to find out more about this, head on over to IWI.us. Don't forget to use the code GUNFUNNY15, all one word, when you find something that you want to buy in their accessory store. And again, that is IWI.us. Tactic Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. Brownells introduces a new BRN-180. The new BRN, and I always wonder, am I saying that right? Just BRN? Sounds good to me. All right. So it's called the BRN-180SH. And it's an upper, and it was just announced at the IWA show in Newburgh, Germany, which one of these days I'm going to make it down there because it looks like a really cool show. It's almost very similar to the SHOT Show, I want to say, but obviously it takes place in Germany. Brownell's BRN-180 line has become pretty popular since its original release, and they've just added a new upper to the lineup that makes it even better. One of the features of the BRN-180 that has made it so popular is that the action does not require a buffer tube to operate like an AR, meaning it can fire with a folded stock. The new BRN-180SH upper is chambered in 300 blackout, which is basically a suppressor host dream. It has a 10.5-inch barrel, which is threaded 5 8 by 24, and has a gas system with three settings, unsuppressed, suppressed, and off. With the gas system turned off, the suppressor is effectively single shot, which eliminates any sound from gas escaping through the ejection port or by the bolt carrier when cycling. And a really cool feature they built into it is... You can quickly flip the charging handle down when off so that you can use it like a straight pull action, allowing you to quickly cycle the action for follow-up shots while still having the quietest possible operation. Flip the handle back up, turn up the gas, and you're back to semi-auto. The complete uppers are in stock right now at Brownells for $999. So I'm right now and wondering why I don't own one yet, because I have a lower that would be a, a great host for this, an SBR lower. And yeah. so, you know, uh, super cool. Mine's a, you know, basically same length, 300 blackout right now, but I really do like kind of the being able to fold it up and drop it in a tiny little bag. Mm-hmm. Super, super cool gun. Yeah, I know. Fold up guns are all the rage right now. Well, that's because we all drive cars. I know. (laughs) Well, also, if you were like, let's say camping or something and you were going on like a trip for, you know, a few days and you have to fit everything in a little backpack. I mean, I'm not one for, you know, not camping. I'm sorry, camping or like hiking. Let's say you're hiking the Appalachian Trail or something like that. I would think that that would be a good like self-defense firearm. I don't know. I think it's pretty awesome. I actually in my... So I have a, a package like it's uh, basically a duffel bag that mm-hmm. you know you can get. So I've got there's a company called Shield Arms that out of Montana, a great company, but they make an integral folding lower, and Brownells has those also. But the the that folding lower then allows you to have a 16 inch gun folded immediately, drop it in a duffel bag. Mine's an integrally suppressed 16 inch upper, so now you've got an integrally suppressed AR that you can flip it over, so you can fold it. You can drop it in a duffel bag along with a plate carrier and three mags. And so now you have a you have a get home bag or go kit, whatever you want to call it, that's yeah. absolutely tiny that you know that you can, you know, move from your safe to your truck to your 
car to whatever, and then, you know, know that you have, you know, that with you, if you ever need it. I live in Wyoming, of course, where we can hunt predators at night with thermal and night vision. And so you never know when you're going to run into a coyote in the middle of Wyoming someplace. So why wouldn't you have it in the car? So yeah, that's a really good point. Is uh, the company Shield Arms that you talk about, are they the ones that also make the extended base plate for like Glock magazines? That's the exact same company. Yeah. Hmm. I'll have to uh, check them out. Seth Bergley, and he's actually, he was a Montana legislator Hmm. and uh, he's a phenomenal guy. That's runs that little company up in the flathead. He's super, he's best friends basically with the state attorney general in Montana is a rock star. The guy's name is uh, Austin Knudsen. Hmm. And and if there's a pro second amendment lawsuit, like defending your rights, he's probably the guy leading it right now. Again, the attorney general, elected attorney general of Montana and just a huge shooter, you know, competition shooter, friends with Burgley. Burgley was army marksmanship unit. And I've done some, you know, we did some sniper comps and stuff with, you know, similar competitions, but great, great guys, super pro second amendment state and phenomenal company. And then that gun that I carry is actually... Uh, it's Wyoming Arms does the integrals, integrally suppressed barrel, and then uh, it's a Stag Arms gun, like at, at its base, the upper is, and just really good companies, great materials. It's really easy now to get good stuff in our industry. There's just a ton of high quality manufacturing out there. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Okay, Franklin Armory, speaking of a good company. So if you haven't heard about it yet, Franklin Armory has developed a new pistol that did something no other new handgun in years has done. It made it on the California roster of certified guns. So that means that the new CA-320, a brand new pistol, is available to buy in California. It passed the California Department of Justice Laboratory certification and handgun testing process and is now listed on the state's roster of certified handguns, which... That list is extremely small. That's like another reason why I'm like, I would hate to live in California, but Franklin Armory definitely has your back. It's chambered in nine millimeter, has factory night sights, and is the first optics ready pistol listed on the roster, which is crazy to believe. MSRP on the pistol is $949. Check it out at franklinarmory.com. If you want to buy a trigger, binary trigger, or any accessory, don't forget to use the code AVA, that's A-V-A, and that's going to get you 10% off your entire order. Stupid, funny, cool, interesting, awesome, as f- Never mind. AF. Today's AF segment, so preliminary injunction against ghost gun rule. Last week, a judge in the Northern District of Texas issued a preliminary injunction against the ATF's attempt to regulate unfinished frames and receivers. Part of the ATF's new frame and receiver rule declares that complete kits or combinations of parts are firearms, even though they do not meet the legal definition of a firearm. The rule change at the direction of the Biden administration prevents companies from selling unfinished frames and the jigs to complete them together. In December, the ATF issued a letter further redefining firearms to include blank polymer frames. Several lawsuits are in process, including this one where Defense Distributed and Second Amendment Foundation claim that the ATF overstepped their power and violated the Administrative Procedures Act, which is known as the APA. Judge O'Connor agreed with the plaintiff's accusations and found they were likely to succeed on the case's merits. The judge also agreed that the rule would cause irreparable harm because the company would likely be dissolved because of the final rule. 
Since the ATF enjoys sovereign immunity, they are protected from pain damages, which is total bullshit. The government, I'm just like, ugh. the government tried to claim that defense distributors product descriptions were too vague for a court to conclude the company would suffer irreparable harm, which is, again, like I said, total BS, and the judge didn't buy it. The injunction protects defense distributed, their employees and customers from the final rule. It doesn't enjoin the whole frame and receiver rule, so the battle isn't over, but it's definitely a good win against the power grab by the ATF. We're just going to keep us super busy. This is a, you know, it's a, it's a challenge. I think we'd love to believe that executive agencies, you know, don't have agendas based on uh, who's in the White House, but mm-hmm. unfortunately, that's not always the case. And I, I know I, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of great people in all these agencies, and a yeah. lot of them, you know, they are not political appointees. They're just trying to do their job day to day, and it's unfortunate that a lot of those people then, you know, kind of get drug along on these uh, expeditions. I know. I couldn't agree more. And I've said that in the past too. And I'm I'm friends with quite a few ATF agents here locally in Colorado, and they completely disagree with everything that's going on. But it kind of sucks. It's like, well, you know, stay on your ground, get a new job, or give in, which a lot of them are getting out because they just don't agree with it. But it just kind of sucks the position that they're in. iTunes reviews. Unfortunately, there's no iTunes reviews today. So if you guys haven't left a review, please do so. Really easy if you have an iPhone. Just go on the podcast app, search for Gun Funny, scroll down, and you can leave a review. And it's always great to hear from you guys because I love knowing that I'm not just sitting here talking to myself or my guests, that there are people out there that are actually listening. (laughs) So that's always a win-win. Plus, you get the opportunity to win a prize pack. And now it's time to wrap up. If you guys want to check out my YouTube channel, watch that YouTube video that I made about the Smith & Wesson FPC, just go to gunfunny.com. There's links to everything. There's links to, you know, where the podcast is posted, all of that good stuff. Also, if you enjoy the show and you want to support it, consider becoming a Patreon. You can do so by going to gunfunny.com, click on the support the show link, or you could even just go to patreon.com and search for Gunfunny Podcast. Also, Blown Deadline, he's giving away a $300 gift certificate to a lucky patron each month, regardless of the donation that you make. And he does awesome Cerakote jobs. Also wanted to thank the $25 Patreons who are Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran, 8888, Sake Holsters, Justin Paulson, Jason Anderson, Daniel Treadwell, Keith Calamore, Daniel Lee, Nick Theodosian, Tristan Smith, and Melissa Ridings, and King the Patreon is still Jon Snow. And... Nephi, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for all your hard work. And also just explaining to us, you know, what we can do as a community to be more active and to definitely, you know, not lose our rights because it's unfortunately, even if it hasn't come to your state, it's spreading like a disease. So it's just a matter of time. So just be on your guard, be active and, you know, just don't be complacent. But can you remind people once again, where they can follow NSSF on social media, what the website is, and then where they can follow you, which I don't think you said when we wrapped up the interview portion. Uh, Yeah. So just go to NSSF.org and NSSF.org, you can then link from there to our Facebook feed, to our Twitter, to our Instagram, LinkedIn, and then YouTube. And then if you're looking for me, I'm Nephi Cole, I believe, on Instagram. (laughs) You're like BRB, let me check. (laughs) 
Yeah, you know, if you if you uh, if you go to Instagram and you search for Nephi Cole, you're only going to find one of them. Yeah, and Nephi so, is spelled N E P H I, N E P H I space C O L E. And then if you're interested in kind of what I do in the like off time, there's a, I also am a, a host of a podcast called the Your Mountain Podcast, where we talk about natural resources and wildlife issues and policy. And so uh, you can check that out too at yourmountain.com. Oh, nice. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. All right, cool. All right, guys. Well, on that note, we're out of here, but I will talk to you next week. And Nephi, thanks again for all your hard work. It's much appreciated. Thank you. It's really been a pleasure. Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.